Because when Joe talks, we listen. Because it's not very often. This is MuggleCast, episode 221, for February the 20th, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast, episode 221. Micah, Eric, and I here to give you the lowdown on what's going on in Harry Potter. I'm getting to, I get to bust out my J.K. Rowling impression again today. I'm really excited. Just looking forward to this episode. Okay, well, let's hear it. Well, now we'll wait for the news. So, uh, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. <laughs> and I'm Micah Tannenbaum. Sorry, I misled you all. What's going on in the news this week, Micah? It actually has been a pretty busy week for news concerning J.K. Rowling. And uh, she was at the BAFTAs, where the Potter series was honored uh, over the weekend. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, a little piece of news surfaced. Uh, not too long ago, that uh, there's going to be this made-for-TV movie called Strange Magic. And it is going to essentially chronicle the life of J.K. Rowling. And this is not authorized in any way by Joe, as far as we know. Uh, and is this just an opportunity to capitalize off of her success? I mean... I'm surprised that she hasn't come out against it if she's not supporting it. Uh, Can you do this sort of thing? I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's always been unauthorized bios of, um, you know, famous people. But if she came out against it, then she would just be promoting it. So I think it's best to just stay silent. But I doubt she is happy about it. There's, you know, who would want that? J.K. Rowling's a very private person. It just seems interesting. Response, though, it seems, just from comments on the site as well as we asked the uh, people on Twitter and we'll read those a little bit later on in the show but for her life to be put out there as you just said she's a very private person and didn't we already get some of this in her authorized documentary uh, day in the life which yeah but this is a this is like a film so it's gonna pull you in and you're gonna see her living all these experiences. That's true. It's it's sort of a dramatization. And uh, I think the fact that it is unauthorized kind of makes it edgier. I don't know. You know, it's it's you, yeah, you always exactly, want to get yeah. the you always want to get the uh, the uh, the unofficial uh, unrated extended edition of movies. You know, um, just in case they're even an ounce better than they were in theaters to justify you paying twenty dollars for it. And, and on top of that, she's being played by the hot chick from Without a Trace. It's so true. It's true. Y- you're enticed even more to watch and see if there's a, you know a couple of scenes that might pique your interest. Maybe maybe she'll like <laughs> maybe she'll like have to find a killer or something in the middle of writing a book. In a world where <laughs> authors become legend, exactly. J.K. Rowling was one of them. I don't know. I can't. Okay, well, we <laughs> just mentioned it. Let's talk about it here. The Potter series was nominated uh, at the BAFTAs last weekend, and uh, J.K. Rowling and David Heyman uh, accepted the award, but Rupert Grin, Emma Watson, as well as all of the directors, with the exception of Chris Columbus, were there as well. 
And uh, I thought they did a really great job, uh, the Baptists did, putting together this montage that they showed uh, just before they accepted the awards and Stephen Fry introduced them. And, yeah, uh, it was so good. It was, it was really, really well done in terms of the people that they were able to get, uh, you know, to speak on behalf of the series. And uh, David Warner slash David Heyman. I couldn't tell if that was a joke or Stephen yeah, Fry I didn't just get that. Is there a up. David Warner? I didn't. Maybe he was implying that like Warner Brothers owns his soul. No, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was I a genuine think. mistake actually, because he he did it while he was introing them, like when he yeah. was actually like, "Ladies and gentlemen, David Warner," and you know, I think it was just an accident. But we've been let's listen to yeah. um uh, uh, Stephen Fry open up the uh, you know this whole segment because it was really well done. Michael Balkan was a visionary producer whose legendary productions with. Alfred Hitchcock and whose glorious Ealing comedies have become part of our national heritage. In his name, I have the honour to present this year's award for outstanding British contribution to cinema. It goes to an achievement in British cinema which has created a British film industry within the British film industry that has entertained more millions around the world than any other um, I'm going to have to use the horrid word than any other franchise in recent memory. One of the most remarkable phenomena of our time was the bursting into the world of boy wizard Harry Potter. In the pages of J.K. Rowling's seven novels, the Harry Potter cycle became the most successful literary series of our time, perhaps of all time. New words entered the language, Hogwarts, Muggle, Quidditch, Mudblood. Characters like Harry, Ron, Hermione, Dumbledore, Snape, and Voldemort, who mustn't be, oh damn, I named him. Uh, (laughs) They made an indelible mark in the imagination of millions of adults and children the world over. Could such an unprecedented and astounding phenomenon ever be translated to the screen? Well, with a total of 28 BAFTA nominations and the final instalment still to come, the Harry Potter series has shown British filmmaking in its very best light. Dramatically dazzling, technically breathtaking, internationally record-breaking. At the heart of the film's appeal is the fact that no matter how much money they make, and believe me, it is a shed load... The Harry Potter movies all seem to have been crafted with an attention to detail and a love which bespeaks genuine care and affection. So he, he goes on and on, of course, but it was really, really nice. And um, it was well done, Stephen Fry. I don't know if he wrote that himself or what, but it was really good. Have any of you guys listened to the audiobooks, the Harry Potter audiobooks uh, by him? Of course. Well, I mean, bits and pieces. Oh, because I know a lot thing. of people are just like, oh, Jim Dale all the way. But um, but he makes a joke about the audiobooks. Is is it like right in that acceptance speech, isn't it? Where It is, <laughs> yeah. Where he says the, they may be better than the audiobooks or they may not be. So, was, something like that. He, he talks about the guy who narrates the audiobooks, which is, of course, him. But we've been skeptical or critical, I want to say. I know Micah has. I definitely have, too, of the BAFTAs in the past, particularly when we're talking about the Oscar nominations and will Deathly Hallows get an Oscar nomination, will they seek it? But 
you know, I think we, I think we've kind of given the BAFTAs a bad rap. This this whole video and the video is online of this acceptance speech by Heyman and and J.K. Rowling uh, is just so very moving. Here's a clip of uh, Stephen Fry from the audiobooks, by the way. Not my daughter, you bitch! <laughs> I still have that from that time <laughs> when we compared Jim Dale and uh, Stephen and, Fry. And now I remember Jim Dale was like, "Not my daughter." You bitch! Yeah, here, let's do a comparison again. Here's Stephen Fry. Not my daughter, you bitch! And here's Jim Dale. Not my daughter, you bitch! (laughs) (laughs) Gotta give it to Jim Dale still. No, no, absolutely not. The inflection (laughs) is all wrong. Before we continue, we'd like to remind everybody that this week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is The King's Speech. It's based on a terrific true story, and as most people know, it was recently turned into a film. Now it has been nominated for several Oscars, and it'll be very exciting to see if the film uh, does pick those up. But check out the book. It is equally as interesting as the film. So for a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. All right, Michael, what else is going on? Well, we continue on with more about J.K. Rowling. She spoke with the BBC on the red carpet at the BAFTA Awards, and she said that, I don't know when you'll get to read it. I've got several things going on at once, so it's hard to know which will be the first to actually appear in print. But yeah, I'm writing hard. So a little bit more insight uh, into the fact that she is working, and as she has said on Twitter three times, pen and paper are her priority. And uh, this is good to hear, though. It's hopeful, then, that we will see something in the not-too-distant future, possibly this year. Yeah. <laughs> we said that last year, too, though, I think. Well, we, well that, we was, that was based on a tweet, that though. Way. That was based on a tweet. At uh, least now true. she's saying, I'm writing several things and writing hard. Like, several things? Did any of us anticipate, like, more than one thing? Because she said, like, obviously we're, like, Maybe the encyclopedia and something else, but she's at, she says she's actively like writing several things. That's really exciting. I thought saying writing hard was kind of sexy too. So like, I'm writing hard. Is that is that bitch? Is that your impression of Jake? Is that the only time we'll get that this episode? Because I'm writing several things at once. I'm writing hard. I, I kind of still want more, Andrew. I need to retire that. That's not that's not very good. It's hard to know which will be the first to actually appear in print, but yeah, I'm writing hard. <laughs> that was sexy. <laughs> writing hard. Uh, yeah, writing hard. If she's working, I mean, uh, so what it could be some of the projects? Of course, the encyclopedia, the political fairy tale, which she um, hinted about a good three, four years ago at this point. Um, and she said that was like a children's political fairy tale. So that was the really so, children's book she talked about, right? Because she said she's going to do like a even younger children's book like younger than potter yeah and the way she implied it writing several things that makes me think think it's more that makes me think it's more than two things yeah it does because she's like it do, it's difficult to tell which you'll see in print first it just makes it seem like there's three or four things yeah that she said that and one of them's got to be here is something harry potter related i don't know i don't know about that i think i think so 
Well, has to be. Yeah, because people <laughs> just aren't going to care anymore once the movie comes out. Perhaps it's yeah. about a theme park in the United Kingdom after Harry Potter. Ah, is this a segue? This might be a segue into the next news story, Andrew. I was going to say, because it didn't make very much sense, but it kind of matched with our next news story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, doing the news rounds uh, at the BAFTAs, she mentioned that uh, she wouldn't be opposed to seeing a Wizarding World type of theme park in the United Kingdom. Obviously, the story last year uh, with the uh, mayor of London, he was not uh, probably as nice about it as J.K. Rowling was. <laughs> I think the quote was when he uh, was uh, mentioned in the Orlando, uh, excuse me, Orlando Sentinel, he said something along the lines of, you're more likely to get shot in Orlando than you are in the UK <laughs> as a reason why the theme park should be uh, based in England. Uh, so, what do you guys think about this? I, I don't think it's going to gain any traction. It's just, you know, she was just being nice, I think, in saying that. Yeah, it would be question. nice to have a theme park here. Yeah, so uh, not much more to say about that. I don't think it's ever going to happen, to be honest with you. What do you guys think? Really? I I think somebody's trying to make it happen. They're just, they're but just she aren't... points out the, yeah. the, um, the weather is an issue for them. To have a theme park. Yeah, I mean, and the reason it is in Orlando is that is a theme park uh, area. So, you know, that's why the first one would go there. So Theme park state. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think... I think if they build a second one, it won't be in the UK. I, I, I think there's a better chance of it being in California first. Um, of course, there's also that expansion, which we talked about last week, or two weeks ago, too. So, I don't know. But yeah, you know, it, it was just a little... J.K. Rowling's talks so little now that we have to post every little sentence she says even if it's just <laughs> i would love a wizarding world of the uk well she was the, the the focal point of the news this week which i can't tell you the last time that was the case yeah exactly exactly <laughs> every news story literally uh, has had to do with jk rowling uh so far today uh but andrew uh you have an update on the international quidditch association Yes, in November, we reviewed the um, Quidditch tournament that took place in New York City. Mike and I went along with Richard and um, Kevin, our old Steck. Friend Kevin Steck, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He lives. <laughs> and it was. What? He lives. He lives? <laughs> yeah, he's still alive. Um, it was such a good time. It really exceeded my expectations. It was just fun to watch. Everybody was really into it. It was a great turnout. And um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to help them spread the word more about this, this, the International Quidditch Association, which ran the tournament in New York City. And uh, there were just a couple updates. Um, first of all, in um, a, a Quidditch team from the university, uh, a university in Finland played their first inter intercontinental Quidditch match in history against a college from, uh, how do you pronounce that, Pukispi? Poughkeepsie, New York. Poughkeepsie, New York. You want to just uh, say it over again, so. <laughs> no, it's all right. Everybody knows I can't pronounce anything. <laughs> On uh, Wednesday, February sixteenth, so uh, there was this the very first intercontinental Quidditch match, which is so cool. Um, that Finnish team will be heading to Harvard on Sunday, or um, by the time this airs, it'll have already happened, and then to Long Island. On February 22nd, Micah, you should go to that one. Who are they going to be playing here on Long Island? Against Stony Brook University. Oh, okay. It's amazing and, um, just to hear this stuff. I, I think, like you said before, having gone in New York City a couple months ago, uh, we were just so impressed by the number of people, the attention 
that it got in the media uh, and, and just how much fun people seem to be having from all these different colleges around the country. And now you're, you're going international, so you're adding a whole different dynamic to it. Yeah. Oh, and there's tons of international uh, leagues already. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the International Quidditch Association also announced their first league-sponsored regional tournament, the Swamp Cup, to be hosted in Florida uh, from March 18th to 20th. Um, so for all this information, you can go to internationalquidditch.org. Definitely check it out. If there's a game happening near you, like there is for Micah uh, very soon, definitely suggest checking it out, internationalquidditch.org. And feel free to go, you know, do a write-up, take some photos, and, and we'd be more than happy to post it on the site. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Depending, how good it is. Depending how well you write it up. <laughs> what else is going on in the news? All right, final bit of news this week. I'll turn it over to Eric. Uh, you recently spoke with somebody who has uh, had a role in the Potter series over the course of the last 10 years, and uh, what did he have to say? Well, it's no secret, guys, that Dan Radcliffe, who uh, plays Harry Potter in the Harry Potter movie series, uh, is on Broadway. Uh, this coming season has been on the West End and Broadway in a product, in productions of Equus. And he is coming to Broadway again for a production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Uh, it's a new revival. The show's only been revived once before. Um, but it's a 1960s musical about big business and getting ahead, obviously, without uh, let me do that again. Um, about getting ahead and climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, it's kind of a satire. It's going to be a really fun show. But I was able to speak with Dan, uh, and there will be an interview posted. Uh, unfortunately, we already did the interview, but it can't be posted until opening week of the show uh, for, for the public. So March, I think, 21st, around springtime, the opening week of the show, we'll post an interview with Dan Radcliffe. I sat down with him. I talked with him for about... 15 minutes and it really uh, is a good is a good interview um and it's going to focus mostly on this show and 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 sort of how he feels about uh some of the characters and 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 their motivations and things like that. It was really in depth actually far stronger than I than I uh than I thought it would be too, but it was really really good. In all seriousness, Dan was very impressed with uh Eric's knowledge of the play <laughs> since or the musical since Eric was a part of it. And I think Dan had a little crush on you after that. I listened to the clips. He was swooning. Really? Uh, I shouldn't say that. Allegedly. <laughs> so that's it for news this week. Before we get into uh, chapter by chapter, where we'll be looking at chapters 27, 28, and 29 of Goblet of Fire, I want to remind everybody, as we announced on episode 220, that we will be podcasting from LeakyCon 2011. Visit LeakyCon.com for all the information about this conference. I'm telling you, if you want a awesome... um event to go to for the release of Deathly Hallows Part 2, check out LeakyCon.com, get all the information. We're going to be doing a podcast there, but not just that. There's going to be a private party in the park for exclusively for the attendees of the conference. Um, there's going to be a big mass um, midnight you know, viewing of the film, of course. There's going to be a ball. There's going to be tons of um, Harry Potter panels. We're going to learn tons of information. I mean, they're just really fun to sit in on. Um, there's going to be Wizard Rock. There's going to be so much, um, including a keynote by uh, Scholastic Editor Arthur Levine, who has had a big hand in the Harry Potter books. So please visit LeakyCon.com. If you do register... We can't wait to see you there. I'm telling you, it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, use referral code MUGGLE 
M-U-G-G-L-E. Uh, and you'll see a box to put that code in. And uh, that way, they'll we'll get an idea of how many you know MuggleCast listeners are coming, which we uh, appreciate very much. So visit LeakyCon.com. We're gonna we're gonna be talking about it more, and there's gonna be more announcements leading up to the event. I'm telling you, you're not gonna want to miss this. This is gonna be a ton, a ton, a ton of fun. And by the way, I mean you also get to check out the theme park. So if you haven't been to the theme park yet. Uh, this is a great way to go. You're going to be surrounded by some of the biggest Harry Potter fans, all seeing the movie together, all dancing together, all going to the theme park together, all going to these great panels together, and you're going to meet some great friends. Even if you don't know anyone who's going, you will have some new friends by the time you leave it. The other upside, too, is you were mentioned in the park, I think things will be a little bit more easily accessible this summer than they were last summer because the park had just opened. So yeah. I-, I think people who may have not gone last year I, the the park i think is just a great opportunity to go there and you know obviously the conference as well but you know also to go down there with your friends i mean and other people who really enjoy the series it, it's an experience that you're not going to get at any other point that's yeah. very true and and not to mention that that party in the park will be only it will be an extra uh ticket that you'll have to pay you know in addition to your registration but you will be able to have access to the rides very easily because it's only the leaky con attendees so there's going to be many less people in the park Absolutely. so you'll be able to get on the rides very quickly yeah even um, if there are lines during the day yeah and that will include a ticket for the rest of the park too earlier in the day so you can get on spider-man and all that other stuff earlier in the day then save the harry potter park uh for the night when it's open to just us and you'll be able to get on the rides real quick get you know butterbeer everything so really, check out LeakyCon.com. This is such an easy sell. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't even have to think about this. I'm, I'm just talking <laughs> out, of, out of my head. You know, from going to these cons over the past five or six years, I know these are the most fun, and this one will easily top them all. I'm sure of it. LeakyCon.com. Use referral code Muggle when you um, register, and we'll see you there. Okay, let's get into chapter by chapter. Eric has chapter 27. You really wanted this chapter, Eric. I did. I, I put my name down for it like two weeks ago when we first started planning. And uh, this is actually one of my favorite chapters, I think, in the in the series. I think, um, well, obviously, because Padfoot returns. Um, but you just get you get some serious and it's really important and it's also sort of I, I feel like it's the middle point in the book even though this book has probably I think 37 chapters so it's it's a little bit more quite a ways more than halfway in the book but it just seems like the halfway point as far as plot so without further ado we're going to go into chapter 27 padfoot returns uh we've actually just completed the the second tri wizard task and we were talking last week on Mogocast about how kind of boring it would be to actually see the task in the audience, because obviously the whole school turns out to see these Triwizard tasks, but the second task happened all underwater. So I think Micah, it was asked, you know, do they have, like, screens? Can they see what's going on underwater? Um, what's going on? Well, apparently, in this chapter, uh, Harry and especially Ron are getting um, r- really uh, inundated with questions about what happened uh, during the task. So I guess that answers our question, because... Um, everybody seems to want to know what was going on at the lake. It seems like they really didn't see anything. Yeah, I think when you're sitting there for an hour and you're in the midst of February, it's pretty cold outside. Uh, it can't be that fun of an experience. I mean, obviously you're there, you're trying to 
you know, enjoy yourself until the Support. first person emerges. What's that? Yeah. Support your school. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're there to support if you're Hogwarts, you're two champions and the other schools, you're respective champions. But, you know, how much fun could that possibly be to sit out there in the freezing <laughs> cold by water, which makes it even colder than normal, uh, and, and just kind of twiddle your thumbs until somebody pops out of the water and, and you know who's going to, uh, you know, emerge as the, the, the victor for this particular task. I mean, that that was where I was kind of thrown off a bit, you know, because it's the same thing when you get into the third task with the maze. It's not like, you know, this is uh, 2011 at a major sports stadium here in America or abroad where you have these huge HD TVs that are plastered all around. So if you're up in the nosebleed seats, you can still see what's going on down on the field. I mean, you can't really follow the action. I just think it's... Um like I think I said this on the last episode, it's just a sort of on-the-edge-of-your-seat event. So uh, I think that's what makes it, it exciting. Yeah, that's but when, you, when do you die. get on the edge of your seat? Like 45 minutes in? No, it's <laughs> 48 you minutes water. in. You don't know how long it's going to take. <laughs> oh, him, my God. So, it's uh, yeah, it's true. But without seeing so, – so basically everybody's asking Harry and Ron what's going on or what happened. And <laughs> Harry notices throughout the week that Ron's answer for what happened changes uh, subtly at first. But by the end of the week, Ron is talking about having to personally fend off 50 people, and that he had a wand uh, in his sleeve that he used to, to combat them, basically. So, so even though Harry just rescued Ron, who was unconscious, um, you know, Ron has spun into this huge tale of, of something else entirely. Um, what does that say about Ron's character? He's just feeling very proud, I think, that he was involved in something. I mean, I think there was a little... What, you know, we remember earlier in the book, when Harry got selected, Ron thought that he put his own name in the cup. So Ron was pissed about that, and I think Ron was just excited that he got to be a part of this epic event. That's a good point. Yeah, I think it's a yeah. tension, though, too. I mean, so much in the series, we, we talk about how he feels as if he doesn't measure up to anybody else, whether it's Harry whether it's his brothers and and so to finally be a part of something as Andrew was saying you know to have the limelight on him for once uh he was just taking it all in and playing it up <laughs> so another question we had last week's episode was whether or not the hostages let's just call them hostages were uh in any real danger um because it's it it's really a big question it doesn't actually seem to be answered largely or like obviously in the book series um even as of book 7 and I'll talk about that later that's an, an email we got I think but um in the beginning of this chapter it's kind of blink and you'll miss it um if I could <laughs> borrow a term from uh from that guy um Kieran Hines <laughs> if I could borrow a term from Kieran Hines um but it's actually said that uh Dumbledore Put them in a bewitched sleep before um, before they went underwater, and and told them that they were going to be quite safe. And that's in quotes. Once they exited the water, um, so that's a little clarification about the people who were taken. Um, because the debate last week was whether or not Harry really had to save um, Fleur Delacour's sister and and all the other champions, because it was a big, big, big deal for him to do that. I think if something were to have happened that would have put them in real danger, somebody would have intervened. An adult wizard, somebody with the ministry, something like that. 
But anyway, the, the actual chapter picks up uh, a couple weeks in uh, after the second task. March begins, and Harry receives one of Sirius's letters, actually a letter from Sirius. Um, it may be a little delayed, because there's a lot of wind going on, and owls are not really uh, as efficient to, to deliver the mail. Sirius asks Harry and uh, Ron and Hermione are present, too, to meet him in Hogsmeade in about a week and to bring as much food as possible. They leave lunch and head to the dungeons, and this is kind of a a big scene down here. Pansy Parkinson is reading a copy of Witch Weekly. It's actually her and her girls um, are reading a copy of Witch Weekly. Pansy throws it at Hermione and says, you might find something interesting in here. And, of course, it's Rita Skeeter's latest article, Harry Potter's Secret Heartache. Now, I know when I first read uh, Goblet of Fire. I was I was like really young and I didn't really think about this article being out of place. I was like, oh no, this is you know, it's drama, it's Harry. But now that just reading it over again, I have to say I, I really didn't think that this article should have been written at all was really appropriate for anybody because reading it again, you just realize how how wrong it is for for Rita Skeeter to have published this this article. What, do you guys well, have like initial reactions to this? Rita writes articles to sell, you know, to sell on newsstands. It's right there on the cover. You know, anyone in in news media, you know, it's like when you read the tabloids, like there's a new story about uh, Steve Jobs in the real world having six weeks to live. It's BS, <laughs> but it sells. So, you know, and Rita Skeeter is a tabloid writer. So she's just writing to sell the cover here. And it's cruel and maybe it shouldn't be allowed for somebody as young as Harry, but apparently there's no rule against it. You know, she quotes Pansy Parkinson in the article as saying that Hermione is ugly and insinuating that she's brewing love potions to keep Harry and Victor Crumb mixed up in her love. And that's that's slander. Like, not only is it slander, but Rita printed it, so it's libel, and it's defamation of character, and a hundred other things that you could legitimately sue for in the States if it were to be published. So even though it's tabloids, like, Rita really has no class. There's nothing redeeming about this article at all. Um, in fact, she even, she even goes out of the way at the end and says, uh, surely Albus Dumbledore will want to investigate these claims of love potions as love potions are illegal at Hogwarts. So she, she basically like assumes Dumbledore's position and authority. And there's just so many things I hate about this. I'm just going to end it right there. Well, like, unless I, you guys, just, have any okay, thoughts. good. <laughs> One thing real quick though, I, I think you would never have this kind of reporter in a normal school. And and I think that that's where there's a little bit of lack of judgment on the part of Dumbledore letting her uh you know be around even though she obviously is sneaking around in Animagus form and you know she's getting all these uh, juicy stories to print up in tabloids and and other papers I just think she needs to be completely removed from Hogwarts and and there not be any second thought Right. I well, mean, we are, talked about this yeah. the other episode. Where's a sports writer? Okay, this is clearly a competition where you're pitting people against each other in different tasks. You should have somebody who's a little bit more knowledgeable and not there to write necessarily uh, all the nasty things that she is about Hagrid and Hermione and Harry and so on and so forth. I wonder if um, this had to do with J.K. Rowling not liking writing Quidditch. And I think she doesn't really like to write about sports in general. She she was quoted as saying she didn't enjoy writing Quidditch ever. Uh, so maybe one of the reasons she didn't add in the sport, sport writer was because she wasn't feeling so inspired. 
It's possible. Oh, I, I, although I think too, like having that's kind of a good, that's a good idea because um, at, at least from the the part where if there is going to be a sports writer, have her be Rita Skeeter, have her write about the relationships and the turmoil and things that are other than the Triwizard Tournament. Because we have enough people, we have enough inner monologue, Harry, Ron, Hermione, uh, Cedric, all worrying about the task and people always offering to help Harry. So to have the public be focused on like relationships, it just kind of adds tension and also isn't more of the same thing, which was J.K. Rowling's problem with writing Quidditch, that every game, you know, she had to work really hard to distinguish them. So I think that that kind of obviously helps. I think, though, it should have been limited to Rita Skeeter can only speak to the tournament champions. Because to go out, she has no business speaking to the other students in the school. They should be off limits. Well, So, so for you Pansy- wouldn't get a comment like P- Pansy Parkinson made. That's a good point because she's already been banned from Hogwarts. These are fourteen-year-old kids, right? Yeah. That, and that's what I'm saying, though. What what I was talking about before is I think like after that first article was written, or even before that, you know the type of writer that she is. She shouldn't have been allowed to cover the event in the first place. Yeah. Well, I guess Bertha Jorkins went missing, but <laughs> not that she was a writer because she wasn't. But anyway, um, moving on. Snape catches the trio talking about the article. He finds the article. He reads it aloud. In class, this is this is horrible. This is one of Snape's, I think, worst torture scenes for for the for Gryffindor. Um, he's he, but he's clearly, and we find out later, he is he is holding a grudge. Not just the grudge we find out about in Book Seven, but he is grudging Harry. Um, basically, he separates the trio, and he talks to Harry. Then he sits Harry up by front, up front of the classroom by him, and accuses Harry of stealing from his private quarters, which the scene plays out a little differently in the movie, um, but Snape says, uh, Gillyweed and Boomslang Skin are, are are what you stole. And Harry denies it, um, which is interesting, but the uh, obviously the Gillyweed was stolen by Dobby um, in, in order to help Harry with the second task. Harry didn't orchestrate it, but really Dobby either should have Found it somewhere. I, what made Dobby think it was okay to steal from Snape? Dobby doesn't really care. He doesn't. He he doesn't follow these kind of rules that go on within Hogwarts. I mean, he follows the house elf rules, so somewhat. <laughs> but you know, he's he doesn't care. That's not in his character. He doesn't. You know, I don't. I don't think he has much respect in terms of the teachers. Okay, well, interesting, know. interesting. We've never seen, we've never seen him really interact much with the teachers, come to think of it. It's just so odd to see him, like, I know where to get Gillyweed. I'll just go into Snape's office and take it there. Yeah. Like, is it free? Well, maybe well, he doesn't he understand. He also knows, he also knows Hogwarts very well, having worked there for a while. Yeah, that's so. very true. Um, they're in the cracks always. Well, and then when, when Snape accuses Harry of stealing Boomslang skin, Harry thinks that Snape is talking about an occurrence in year two. Um, because obviously they, they actually did steal Boomslang skin from, from Snape's office. They created a distraction in year two to brew Polyjuice Potion. So when Snape is saying that it's missing, or that it has been missing, Harry thinks he means in year two. Snape actually means currently in year four, which is easy to miss. Um, but it's more of that, it's a hint, it's kind of the puzzle pieces are coming together that somebody at Hogwarts is using Polyjuice Potion this year, um, which becomes a huge plot point. So, regardless, um, soon enough, they get out of Potions class, they end up, uh, it's the weekend, they end up meeting with Sirius. So they bring a dozen chicken legs, a loaf of bread, 
and some pumpkin juice. They meet Sirius, and they actually, Sirius guides them for half an hour up this bouldery hillside. Honestly, my one point for, for this, this whole conversation they have, um, J.K. Rowling has said in the past that book four, I, I, more than any other book, is the book that she felt most rushed in completing. Um, I believe because by this point she's, she'd written the first three in a year each. And I think she was under pressure. Um, I'll have to find the exact article, but she was under pressure to complete the fourth book. Well, her mis- her mistake was that Goblet of Fire, she had already set a date with the publisher before she had finished writing, so she had this deadline that she couldn't change. Yeah, but fortunately, she still made it into the book that it is, which is a good book, but there's a huge, huge plot, like subplot here, with Barty Crouch Sr. almost becoming the Minister of Magic, and, I mean, we can talk about it, but you know, we don't really need to, but, 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 but long story short, Barty Crouch Sr. was... was pretty much on his way to be Minister of Magic. And they actually, Sirius talks about his practices, about how he goes around uh, really employing death curses over, you know, kidnap and all sorts of other stuff. But um, then his son happened, which is where it becomes relevant to uh, the plot of this book. I just felt that there was a lot of potential here for a lot of other kind of interesting plots. Cause, cause towards the end here, when we, when we see Barty Crouch senior, it's very brief. Um, but it just seemed like there was a lot there, a lot of thought, a lot of great plot that we'll probably hopefully see in, in an encyclopedia that just didn't make it into the book. Yeah. Well, I, I thought the most relevant piece was that uh, Barty Crouch Sr. ended up trying his own son as opposed to you know, recusing himself and not overseeing him going to Azkaban because couldn't the punishment have been far worse for Barty Crouch Jr. had somebody else overseen the trial. Could it have been, though? Because Sirius mentions that Sirius himself went to Azkaban without trial, per Barty Crouch Sr., and that Barty Crouch Jr.'s trial was only, pretty much, he says it was only an example uh, setting, so that so that the people could see how much he despised his son. Um you know, so so I, I kind of feel like it was, it was it was a trial, which is more than Sirius got, but I, I don't think I think it was over really quick. So, but what my do you point mean? is, though, couldn't he have been given, uh, you know, have his soul sucked out? That's a good question um, about the Dementor's kiss because we don't see people really. The only person who ever gives the order to administer the kiss is Cornelius Fudge in Book Three, but it just seems like. It hadn't been done before, almost, because all these old Death Eaters are sent to Azkaban. Um, Sirius, in this chapter, gives a list well, of... Well, Cornelius gives it again at the end of this book, and he does end up having his soul sucked out. Yeah, Barty Crouch Jr. dies from the Dementor's Kiss. So, it, it, it's just... I, I wonder if that was the, sort of the extreme punishment, the death penalty equivalent that was given to Death Eaters, or, you know, what we're seeing, though, from an evidence standpoint, is that never really did happen. Most of the Death Eaters are sent to Azkaban, and that's it. You know, they, they're they supposed to live the rest of their lives, uh, you know, sort of stuffed in these cells. But, you know, it'd be interesting if, because of, of what Barty Crouch Jr. was responsible for with respect to the Longbottoms, if somebody else had tried his case, if he would have ended up, you know, with far worse punishment than just going that's to true. Azkaban. That's true. That's a good point. And especially considering not long after um, there was a rescue effort, uh, you know, for Barty Crouch Jr. 
that's really it. They they have this whole talk about Barty Crouch and and uh, they review the Quidditch World Cup. And Sirius's last request when he guides them down the hill is that when referring to uh, him when he's not around uh, or covertly to call him Snuffles. Oh, how cute. Just one other point that I thought Sirius mentioned that was important, um, you know, talking about Bertha Jorkins, saying that when they were in school, she had an excellent memory, and that uh, it's kind of interesting that Fudge is so apt to not take this into consideration, you know, saying, oh, Bertha Jorkins, she, j- she must have just gotten lost somewhere along the line. But for somebody to have such an excellent memory, um, you know, that's not something that you would think uh, – she would do get lost. That's know? true. So, I think so, so the pieces of the puzzle should really start to be coming together here for people who are reading the book. That's that's also true with. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole story of of uh, Barty Crouch Jr. and his mom and Azkaban is laid out by Sirius here. So you really do have all the puzzle pieces. That with the the Rita Skeeter um, Beetle because she's quoted in the article as quoting Crumb right after Hermione was pulled out of the lake. And so if you read back, Crumb says, oh, Hermione, you have a beetle in your hair, right when he's saying all those other things. So really, you do have a lot of the puzzle pieces to figure out the rest of the story at this point. All right, now, Chapter 28, The Madness of Mr. Crouch. The trio take up Sirius's suggestion from the last chapter of writing to Percy to learn more about Mr. Crouch. So um, a couple days later... The outpost arrives and Hermione begins receiving hateful messages from those who read about the love triangle in Rita Skeeter's report, again from the last chapter. And Hermione skips the beginning of Hagrid's class to have her hands taken care of since they were eaten up by Bubba, Bubba Tuber Puss. <laughs> Bubba Tuber. Bubba Tuber <laughs> Puss. Uh, and presumably, you know, it's interesting that Hermione is taking this hateful article written by Rita much better than Hagrid did. It really got to Hagrid, as we talked about earlier in this series, whereas Hermione, it doesn't really seem to bother her much. I mean, or at least she's much stronger about it. What does this say about Hermione versus, uh, you know, Hagrid? Hagrid's just a big, blubbering, vulnerable crybaby who's a half-giant, while Hermione, you know, physically is this tiny little girl, and you would think Hermione would take it worse. Yeah, having this article exposed about her personal love life. But I think though, there shows her maturity and her character as being much stronger in that respect than Hagrid's. I just think that Hermione sees Rita Skeeter for what she really is, and and knows that in the grand scheme of things, this is not going to impact her life at all. I think with Hagrid, it was different because he had something about him exposed that maybe not everybody was aware of. Whereas Hermione having interest in Victor Crumb or Harry or anybody else for that matter, that would be normal. I mean, she's she's a 14-year-old girl, but Hagrid having this big piece of information thrown out there for the world to see, uh, you know, I think it probably hurt him a little bit more. Yeah, we've seen how half-breeds are treated by everybody. Not, but you know, Dolores Umbridge, to name a few, but or to name one. But, um, you know, I think the thing with Hermione, if she's able to giggle and put the article down, sure, she's maybe a little bit stronger than Hagrid is anyway, uh, emotionally. But a lot of those claims Rita made were baseless. The articles are, are different, you know, completely different, because Hagrid has something to hide. Hagrid, there's some scandal there, you know, with him being a half-giant. So it is, it is kind of... 
more hurtful um, just in general because because Hagrid has had to not only does Hagrid feel bad about Madame Maxime and what happened with that, but you know it just comes at a time where now everybody's questioning him again. It's just like being accused of opening the Chamber of Secrets. Hagrid's had enough of that in his life, so I think it affects him no, more that true. way. Hermione continues to try to figure out how Rita Skeeter had learned uh, she was talking to Victor. She's really determined to find this out. Percy replies to the trio's letter, but it doesn't offer any help. He only says he's on a well-deserved vacation, um, which, of course, ends up being BS, as we'll find out in just a couple minutes. And, you know, I, I was kind of bored by this chapter, but then finally some interesting news, I thought. McGonagall tells Harry to head down to the Quidditch field at 9 p.m. to learn about the third task from Mr. Bagman. And, you know, as with McGonagall saying to head down to the Quidditch field, we don't really see Harry um, try to figure out what this could be because he's going to be learning out about it soon anyway. But I wondered if Harry thought maybe this would involve Quidditch, which I thought would make him probably pretty excited because, you know, since he's so talented. Um, but he doesn't give any thought to it because he runs into Cedric and Cedric says Floor says it ha- may have to do a with underground tunnels and finding a treasure, which is kind of along the lines of what it ends up being. So did she receive a tip from Maxime or, you know, how did she get this information? Well, how is it kind of, how is it kind of like what ends up happening? Well, it's sort of like a prediction by Trelawney that like, it's kind of similar. Whereas, you know, she's saying tunnels, but it's not tunnels. It's, it's hedges and it's not a treasure. It's a, um, you know, it's the cup. So, I it, it follows the lines of like the physical requirements physically yeah. yeah yeah okay so I don't know I she had some hint somewhere she had I mean to. clearly that yeah that wasn't just a stab in the dark that's a good point uh, and it just shows you again you know the corruption of this tournament how nothing's really kept secret you know well look but at Hagrid. no matter well go get to your next point maybe you'll have your answer. Um, okay well upon entering the stadium Harry notices they're growing hedges on the field. And Bagman explains there will be creatures and obstacles inside the maze provided by Hagrid, and the first person to touch the cup will win. So what are you saying, Hagrid? Or, <laughs> Micah, did somebody get a look at this? Somebody get a look at it? Well, if, if the creatures are being provided by Hagrid, maybe he tipped off oh. Maxime in some way. I know they're not on speaking terms right now, so it's probably not likely that that's what happened, but that would be my first guess. It, like you said, yeah. it's a little Even bit too... Uh, coincidental in terms of her explanation of how the the task was going to uh, lay out. Even though Floor didn't mention, you know, any creatures. So yeah. Anyway, I and know, I, I, I think I think if Hagrid knew, Harry would know before Maxime would let Floor would let Cedric would let Harry know. Exactly. Yeah. All right, and um, so so we got that explanation about the third task, which I feel like that was more information about the task than any of the others previously. I mean, they don't know exactly what creatures they're going to be up against or just how hard this task is going to be, but they seem to be pretty transparent with this one. Um, and maybe that's just because there were so many leaks for the other one that they were just like, ah, forget it. We'll just, uh, you know, tell them what, what they're up against. So after the explanation, uh, Crumb takes Harry away from everyone else and asks Harry point blank if there's anything going on between him and Armini. That's my crow impression. And while talking, uh, well, first Harry Harry says, "No, no, we're just friends. We've never kissed." Uh, so while talking, Crouch stumbles out of the forest 
and looks as if he's gone mad. Clearly, he was not on a well-deserved vacation, as Percy had said. So, it's very alarming. He just seems... He's very incoherent. Can I touch on that for a second? Like, just Percy and and how ignorant he is. Like, we we always talk about Fudge and and how blind he is to what's going on. But I think, you know, it's kind of a top-down effect. You know, because Fudge is the way he is, like, you see other people in the ministry who act the same way. And, you know, Umbridge is an example of it in the next book. But I think Percy is really, you know, a by-the-rules this is what's going on and I can't think outside my own mind type of person. And, you know, if you're working for somebody, I mean, we all work for people before in our lives. If you're missing this much time from work and you're getting these ridiculous excuses, wouldn't you think something is up? I mean, I understand you got to be obedient and, and, you know, work within certain restrictions, but this is just red flags should be going off in my opinion, in person's mind. Oh yeah, but I but he's so consumed by the ministry and he's so proud of what he's doing. He doesn't think there could be anything wrong. I think his mind is just so clouded by yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. Um so so Harry goes to get Dumbledore and when they return they find Crumb unconscious. Crouch had attacked him and disappeared. And then Hagrid and Moody show up. Um Hagrid was caught, but Moody somehow just decided to show up. This is, you know, for the reader um, this is kind of a, a subtle hint that something's going on. You know, you see it on TV shows all the time. You know, somebody transforms and then you see the real person, like in superhero movies. Um, <laughs> there's no such thing as they're that. like, what's going on? There's they're no such thing honest. as a coincidence. So, right. <laughs> you know. Well, this was done terribly in the movie, in my opinion, because it's so different than what happens in the book. And, and you have that moment between, uh, Moody and Barty Crouch Sr. and, uh, they're arguing back and forth and then, uh, he does that little lick of the lips with his tongue and there's that yeah. that realization by Barty Crouch Sr. And then like almost the next scene, Barty Crouch Sr. is lying dead on the floor and Harry finds him. So, that, I mean, I thought it was so much clearer in the movie, like really right from the beginning, that Moody wasn't who he appeared to be. Whereas, yeah, and there were so many hints too with the damn hip flask all the time. But you know, in the books, I, th- you know, and I'm just, it's just like, this should all be coming together for Harry, and he's just so stupid. Like, I know he's 14 mm. years old, but. This book man, could have been so much shorter. Exactly. Put it together, man. The pieces of the puzzle, they're right there. Look, it, and, and not all the books happen like this, but in this book in particular, the pieces are there, but Harry doesn't know where to look. Maybe this is like the foundation for him knowing where to look in the future. You know, but it, again, and again, you got to remember how young he is too. I mean, I think we lose sight of that a lot. Like my brother's, my brother currently is the same age as Harry is in this book, and I just he he wouldn't be that smart. <laughs> well, no, no offense to Ryan, but but no, um, I, I you know Harry does have schooling to go on, to go to get on with. You know, he can't devote his time. He can't just open up a detective agency. Maybe if he had been expelled in year two, he could sort of spend the rest of his years on the Hogwarts grounds trying to decipher whatever anything meant. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of it is just kind of... Uh, the plot structure is that the climax, you know, the, the bad guy is revealed at the end and not sooner. Yeah, I know, I know. Now the other thing was how is Hagrid called in this uh, scene? Well, it's nearby the hut, so I mean it's not too far off from the hut. So I just I'm trying to remember is is this the scene where um, 
he's called by uh, Patronus or not. Oh, yes, I think. I don't know. Shame on me for not. Um, here, let me look. I'll look in the book while we. Yeah, go. All right, I'll I'll keep moving here. Um, Karkaroff arrives as well and is pissed at the situation. He accuses Dumbledore of throwing the tournament between getting Harry in and then having somebody attack his student, being Crumb, and he spits at Dumbledore's feet, which is a big insult. Then uh, Hagrid throws Karkaroff against a tree, and that's when Dumbledore tells Hagrid to escort Harry up to the Gryffindor common room. Obviously, tension. It's uh, there's a lot of tension going on in the scene. Um, a scene I would have liked to see in the movie. It would have been cool to see Hagrid pick up Karkaroff and throw him against a tree. <laughs> um, so while Hagrid is escorting Harry up to the Gryffindor common room, Hagrid notes that Dumbledore has been more worried than ever, and uh, it made me think about earlier in the scene when Dumbledore seemed to be aware of Voldemort getting stronger because Harry told Dumbledore when he went to get him. That, um, you know, in this, um, when he, when he heard Crouch mumbling mumbo jumbo, one of the things he said was Dumbledore, or uh, that Voldemort was getting stronger. So Dumbledore is clearly stressed right now about a return from Voldemort. And it makes you think, you know, let's be really cautious here about the third task. Let's make sure everything's on the up and up. Um, we know it was Moody, the, the imposter Moody who ended up screwing or, you know, turning the cup into a port key in the third task. And, I mean, it's kind of an oversight by Dumbledore for not double-checking all this stuff himself. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I, I, you'd think with how worried you just said that Dumbledore's been that, that he would have put every level of precaution in place, regardless of who he trusts and who he thinks is an ally. You know, you would hope that he would you know, look over these things and make sure that it's safe. I mean, he is probably... You know, not probably he is. You know, the the most intelligent person in this in this group of of uh, professors. So he he should be taking every precaution, and he's not doing it. Do you have um, the clarification about Patronus? Yeah, actually, it's uh, page five sixty in the U.S. edition. He raised his wand into the air and pointed it in the direction of Hagrid's cabin. Harry saw something silvery dart out of it and streak away through the trees like a ghostly bird. So uh, it was, in fact. Uh, Dumbledore's Patronus. So it's the first first look at how the Order of the Phoenix communicate. Let's move on now to chapter 29. Oh, man. Narrated <laughs> by Micah Tannenbaum. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, this is how the chapter starts, uh, the chapter called The Dream. Um, they discuss what just happened in the forest with Crouch and Victor Crumb. And there's a lot of theorizing going on and uh, one of the things that they spend a lot of time talking about is why was it that Snape, and I don't know if you mentioned this, Andrew, when in the last chapter, almost prevented Harry um, from getting to Dumbledore and, and getting him out uh, to the forest. And a lot of speculation goes on about, you know, could have Snape have been the one responsible for stunning Victor Crumb uh, and making... Uh, Crouch Senior disappear, and would he been able to get down there in time? You know, between the time Harry went up to get Dumbledore in return, and Harry says, "quote Not unless he can turn himself into a bat or something." Now we all remember how much speculation this particular quote caused uh, way back. You know, before uh, Deathly Hallows came out, and and maybe even before Half Blood Prince came out. Uh, you know, okay. 
can Snape actually turn himself into a bat? And then, of course, that was revealed later on uh, in Deathly Hallows towards the end when he when he's leaving Hogwarts. So, uh, you know, a little bit of foreshadowing. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, a little bit goes a um, long way. And the, the, what I was thinking when I was reading this was Dumbledore... Um, Snape meant that Dumbledore was just working on this Voldemort issue. I, you know, I thought that's what he meant. And he may have been at that present time, been, you know, trying to figure out what to do about this whole Voldemort thing. So, yeah. So what the trio decides to do is go and send a letter to Sirius because Sirius wanted to know uh, the minute something happened. And uh, this is just before dawn, so it's very early hours of the morning. They're up there. Nobody else is around, um, or so they think. And then they overhear Fred and George you know, coming up the steps to the Owlery, and they're talking about blackmailing someone. And uh, they get into a back-and-forth discussion with the trio about saying, well, basically, if you're not going to ask us why we're up here, we're not going to ask you why you're up here. Um, and, uh, you know, Ron is persistent. He wants to know what's going on with his brothers. And, uh, you know, they respond by saying, you're starting to sound a bit like our dear old brother you are, Ron. Carrying on like this, and you'll be made a prefect. And, you know, another bit of foreshadowing, you know, uh, because, of course, in the next book, Ron is, in fact, made a prefect. So it was interesting that you had the bat foreshadowing and the prefect foreshadowing within you know pages of each other yeah i agree Um, now one thing i wanted to ask though hermione raises an interesting point about fred and george breaking the rules like at the school which they do fairly often versus the law uh which you know in the case of blackmailing obviously that's against the law so you know should they have told somebody should they have gone to percy should they have gone to mr mrs weasley about what was going on i just don't think they have a role they they don't have a what can they do you know um well percy wouldn't be helpful i mean even the trio tried going to percy in the previous chapter and you know he wasn't hearing it he just doesn't he he's not in the position where to give good advice about dealing with ministry people he's got his head so far in his own affairs um but like even mr weasley would only be able to offer so much advice. They they have a unique situation. I feel like they're they're creative, and because they're creative, they can figure out how to deal with it on their own, which is which is what they do. But it's still, blackmailing is illegal, so that kind of leads back to your question. But I, I think I think they're trying to resolve it amicably, and the fact that they're still going on about this months and months later shows that they really do need that money. Um, but also that that you know it's really one of their last resorts, um, which is good for their character. Yeah, and and they need the money for the joke shop, which is brought up again in this chapter, and uh, maybe the uh, the idea starts to formulate a bit in Harry's mind that hey, should I win this tournament, I, I might be willing to give this away. I don't think yet, but you know, it's sort of laying the groundwork for this uh, happening later on towards the very end of the book. Um, so, what the trio really wants to do now that they've gotten the letter off to Sirius is speak with Moody and find out uh, if there was any new developments. And the day really drags for them. You know, they just want to get uh, into Moody's uh, class and speak with him. And uh, they finally do. And, uh, you know, they're having the discussion about what happened the previous night. And Moody suggests that Hermione 
become an Auror. So yet again, and, and the reason why he does it is, is because she brings up the fact that uh, uh, nobody can apparate inside the grounds of Hogwarts. And uh, so I'm wondering... <laughs> Uh, that you know, qualifies th- you to be an R. Well, I, I, well, remember he's had her as a student though throughout the course of this year. That's now true. she's for a couple of months now, so he knows how intelligent she is. Um, but she she seems to you know be very forward thinking, and you know is it surprising though that that now Barty Crouch Jr. in in the guise of Mad Eye Moody has suggested that both Harry and Hermione become Aurors. Apparently, apparently, Barty Crouch Jr.'s disdain for the law and the sanity of muggles and mudbloods and the, all that is good in the world, his disdain for that has not does not extend to giving relevant career advice to underage underage good guys. Apparently, it just doesn't connect. And like I thought, it was special when he recommended Harry Bnr. It's ironic a little bit. But it's special because it seems like, you know, he's really gone out of his way to assess and say, hey, I better watch my back because Harry Potter's coming and he's good at this stuff. But for them, to, you know, for him to then go and tell Hermione, oh, you'd be a good R, uh, makes it less special. It's like, well, geez, Barty Crouch, why don't you just, why don't you pick the lineup of all the people that are going to defeat Voldemort in the next battle? Like right now, why don't you just do that? Because he seems to be actively engaged in in training these young wizards, he he's not by by assuming the guise of Mad Eye Moody, he's really become this teacher and this resource for them. Apart from trying to kill Harry, um, but you know he's also tried to keep him alive several times throughout this yeah, tournament. Yeah, it's a weird balance. Yeah, it it definitely is. And so- well, he's tried to keep him alive in the tour or to, to get him to the third task to get him right? to Voldemort exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. it really is a balancing act. Thank you. I, I really couldn't have said that better. Right, and and there's a complete contrast though too between how Moody views Harry and Ron, uh, Hermione versus how he views Ron, uh, because Ron tries again to you know say and do things that are that's going to get Moody to react and and to say oh yeah you should be an Auror too I think he suggests something <laughs> along the lines of Crouch being uh, kidnapped uh, you know trying to draw the attention of Moody uh, as well but uh, eventually Harry hears back from Sirius and we get a, a, our first glimpse into Sirius acting as a parental figure as opposed to you know, really, he's in the past. He's been a bit more irresponsible. He's been more of Harry's buddy as opposed to Harry's godfather, as, as a guardian in a sense. And uh, Harry was kind of taken aback by it. What did you guys think? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, he. he there was some prep in in the in chapter what twenty seven. Um, you know, when he would he he had those lines. We could almost do a whole segment on this show about lines from the cave of what Sirius said. But he had said things like. You know, if you want to know the measure of a man, look at how he treats his inferiors. And he's like, well, Ron, Hermione has a better grasp of reality here. You're letting your emotions get in the way. So he's trying to be parental there. But this letter really did it where to where Harry is saying, wow, my God, okay, serious, you're not my friend anymore. Jeez. Serious, you're being serious, man. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> not cool, not cool. Yeah, I mean, but the, the, the gist of the letter is that, look, what were you doing out with Victor Crumb? You could have been killed. Clearly somebody put your name in the Goblet of Fire with the intent of doing you harm, and here you are acting completely reckless. It's so also it's kind of cheap, time. though. Yeah. What? I said it's kind of cheap. 
Because the other thing that happened in the cave was that they spent a real long time reviewing the facts, as if they were all co-detectives in this mystery. And for so for Sirius to say, hey, that was stupid of you to go out with Victor Crumb alone, clearly somebody wants you dead, is not being very helpful, because it's not saying, oh, thank you for the information, I'm going to look at this and, and, and try and figure out more clues. It's almost like Sirius voted himself off the island and is now all of a sudden being the parental figure. So so it is kind of, in, in that way, cheap. Well, in some ways, he's doing the very thing that he's telling Harry not to do. He's being reckless. He's out in the open. He's a fugitive on the run. Yet he's how many, you know, miles away from Hogwarts and... and right next door to Hogsmeade where there are people who could easily capture him. So Well, he, he's a grown wizard and nobody's looking for him. This this year. I mean, I, I think it's not until really book five that people start talking about Sirius Black again. Maybe I'm maybe I'm incorrect. Maybe I missed that. Um, but well, but, you I know, think that's a bit like- of what Harry feels, though. He feels like Sirius is is acting the same way and getting away with it. But you're right; he's a full grown adult where Harry isn't. Um, so uh, they go off to divination, and Harry ends up having this dream during the class. And it's noted that there's an insect humming gently behind the curtain before he dozes off. And, uh, of course, that ends up uh, being Rita Skeeter. Uh, but the dream that he has uh, is of Voldemort cursing Wormtail for uh, what has happened. And um, it's clear that Wormtail has made some sort of blunder. We don't know what. But we find out from this eagle owl that arrives that uh, it has been corrected, that somebody, a man, is dead. And what I want to know is, why does Harry not think that Wormtail's blunder could be related to Barty Crouch Sr.? Again, he's young. <laughs> I don't well, know. That seems, stupid. Like, that seems like a good question, though. I mean, Wormtail is one of those characters where... You see him at the beginning of the book. Even Harry sees him in his dream. What's he doing? And it's almost like, really, Voldemort, uh, Wormtail should be a bigger character discussion for the trio to be like, where is he now? Because it was only last summer that he had his huge escape, and the Ministry actively refuses to believe he exists. So he should really be on everybody's mind just as much as Barty Crouch Jr. And, and maybe even more so, because Voldemort is with, we know he's with Voldemort. So when Harry has his dream, it just seems like these questions should be raised a lot more by Harry. Right. I mean, you're talking about Barty Crouch Sr. just having disappeared. Uh, he was in a, a oh, an odd state when he stumbled out of the forest. And now here's Harry having this dream. He knows in some way he is connected to Voldemort, or at least he should be starting to realize that, and he has this dream where uh, Wormtail's being tortured for a blunder, which we later find out is letting Barty Crouch Sr. escape, but then, you know, in the end we find out that uh, everything's been corrected because he ends up being killed, but, you know, I, I just thought, again, I understand, Andrew, he's young. Um... So Harry ends up uh, waking up from the dream in the middle of divination. Trelawney wants uh, to interpret what's just happened, but Harry blows her off and uh, goes running for Dumbledore's office. And uh, I th- the one thing I thought odd was that he was able to guess the password kind of off the top of his head, even though he rattled <laughs> off about 15 or 20 passwords beforehand. Um, 
I don't know. It, it was funny, but but anyway, Dumbledore's, um, yeah, Dumbledore's office should kind of be more secure than that. <laughs> there, there's this whole conversation going on, um, you know, in Dumbledore's office that Harry overhears from the outside, uh, and it's related to what's just happened with Barty Crouch Senior and Victor Crumb, but also we hear about uh, Bertha Jorkins again. And I was wondering why does Fudge continue to cover up the fact that something is clearly wrong with Bertha Jorkins? If a government official went missing from the U.S. or the U.K., wouldn't it be a big deal if if it had gone on for this long? Well, this is some signs of the ministry starting to fall apart. I mean, they're just hiding it because they, they I don't think they really want to deal with it. Um, in the meantime, they probably have a sort of idea that Voldemort's coming back, but he's in, but they're in denial that he's coming back. So it's a confusing time at the ministry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the, on the Victor Crumb end, uh, where, where he was attacked, Fudge references both, uh, the Bow Batten's carriage and Durmstrang's ship as being near where the incident occurred. And I thought it was interesting that Fudge's mind goes to Madame Maxime as being the attacker, uh, because of her condition slash half giant, mm. uh, versus Kargorov, who's a known Death Eater. I mean, now, is he really going to attack his own student? Is he going to, you know, do something to Barty Crouch Sr.? Depends Probably on his more the latter. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, he is a known Death Eater. It's, this is this is public information for the most part, and yet he shows such strong, you know, racism in this case. You know, he goes right to the half breed. He goes right to uh, Madame Maxime, and uh, you know, I think we start to see the fact that Fudge is willing to trade this opinion, this mindset, this racism for the belief that Voldemort could possibly be back. Yeah, I mean, as we see in Order of the Phoenix, they go through all, they take all steps necessary to make sure, or, you know, to try to, to deny it. So. Fudge, and, and it's it's like Andrew, like you just, you know, answered Micah's question by saying, well, they're hiding it, they don't really have a better option. You know, they don't, they don't, it's the, they're hiding it not be, not out of malice, but simply because it's the easiest thing to do. It, it, it seems to be the best response at the time and i think this is this is a perfect example of fudge not only losing it but um you know all of these scenes that happen between fudge and dumbledore that we're privy to just show that that fudge fudge is a an obstacle and 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 will continue to be until he is removed from power um because dumbledore is the one who wants to go out and fight voldemort and defeat voldemort fudge wants I don't even know what Fudge wants. He just wants there to not be chaos. Right. And that's how the chapter ends with Moody saying that Harry is outside of the door. All right. So that's chapter by chapter this week. And we now move on to today's Twitter question, which focuses on the uh, news we talked about earlier in the show. Thoughts on J.K. Rowling, the movie Strange Magic. Uh, Anne Hull said, isn't it weird that they're making a movie about J.K.R. when her life career isn't over yet? <laughs> Not really, because they've done this before for other celebrities, like I said earlier in the show. Gracie writes, a TV movie of J.K. Rowling's life sounds dumb. She's a wonderful human being, and they just want to make money off her. That's oh, oh and what was the Oprah interview supposed to do? Make make cookies off Nobody's of, making off of money Joe? off of that, other than Oprah, but yeah. <laughs> She's got money. I don't blame... Anyway, the whole yeah. the interview was about how they have money. They didn't... But Oprah had never interviewed J.K. Rowling, so I thought I thought that was fitting. <sighs> Kathleen Becker writes, I am psyched. JKR has such an inspirational story, and I can't wait for everyone to see how she got to where she is today. I mean, that's true. We could get a nice story out of it. It's it all, could be all right. It's really about how they how they treat the, the, the material, you know. 
And Eric's friend Hillary Klein writes, since this is unauthorized, I fear this is simply a way to cash in on JKR's success in a fairly uncreative manner. Not a fan. So I think we got more negative than positive for this story. And then also um, the story about J.K. Rowling writing new, um, uh, you know, what is she writing hard about? We ask people who follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash mucklecast to, you know, let us know what they think. And Lena Putch wrote, she really needs to stop teasing people and just let the world know what she's up to. She doesn't even have to go into detail. <laughs> so Lena's very upset that we still don't know what's going on. Abby writes, I just hope whatever she is writing remains in the wizarding world. It doesn't necessarily need to be Harry Potter. Katie O'Hara writes, I hope she's working on the HP Encyclopedia. I'd like a story of James and Lily from their days at Hogwarts 2 and Sirius. I love Doctor Who writes, I really want another Harry Potter book about James and Lily and Hugo and Rose and Scorpio, but that's not going to happen. Sat face. Recovered Rebecca writes, about the Marauders for sure. I'd like to know more about how they went to school and more interesting things. Nathan Larkin wrote, I think one of the books that JKR is working on is definitely the encyclopedia. And finally, Matt's Kristen Kang wrote, obviously we all want the encyclopedia, but also curious about that fairy tale. Just hope she won't publish it under a pseudonym. That would be cool if she wrote a book under, you know, a, a, a different name and didn't tell anyone for like five years. Just to see how it, how it goes. Maybe it's already out there. Yeah. Maybe it's, yeah, exactly. uh, maybe it's I mean, like, authors uh, have done it before, so. Yeah. Maybe it's like Twilight or something. Uh, it'll leak so fast. <laughs> I, I just so? don't think. Uh, well, it, I don't think so. I don't think you can keep something like that under wraps for very long. Well, why not? She's keeping this project under wraps. Well, no, well, I'm she's saying, not talking. Once about you it. once you start incorporating other people, you know, and, and she has to go to a publisher, and you know, she's got she got to work through the process of, of getting the book published. There's so many people that are going to know that it's her. I think it's going to be difficult you may to pull it off. that, Micah. You may. I picture us playing back that you know clip what? in five years. You know what? You, you, you've made success with your real name. Why write under a pseudonym? It's, there's no, people, there's because no people point. don't like, they want to go back to the days when they didn't get all this attention. Just for being that way. But Hasn't like Ronald Dahl done it or Stephen King? Well, Stephen like King has. Stephen King used to be, or wrote under Richard Bachman for a while. Um, there were only four or five books. And I understand the practice of it, but it's almost like in order to do it well, it takes a lot of money. So it's like, it's, it's, it's mm. not only going back to well, when Well, J.K. You, Rowling doesn't have that. Well, it's not only going <laughs> back to when you didn't have money by publishing under a non-money-making name, but you almost, in order to do it correctly, you have to, like, put all this money into being anonymous. And I feel like it will leak. I feel like Micah's right. But also, I feel like her name is nothing to be ashamed of, you know? People are, even when of people do not. find out that it's her, even if it is under a pseudonym, it's going to get that that attention. I really feel like it is. I don't know. It would be just another misleading. But, but wait, is it is it just the challenge of doing it all over again? Is is that what it is? You, you... Yeah, she could like that. Maybe maybe she wants that challenge of trying to get to a publisher, get accepted. You but know? what's what's the what's the what's the goal then? Because she's already she's already struck gold. The goal with... then is to re-experience, you know, the the challenges of writing. Maybe she thinks, oh, I could write anything, and anybody's going to publish. Writing it is still if hard. I put my name on writing it. is still difficult. Yes, of course it's still hard, but maybe oh, whatever. But the other thing. <laughs> Here's I'll, I'll you know Finish end, end on, on this yeah yeah is that you're also alienating potentially the people who are really interested in what you want to what you're writing because if you go under a pseudonym nobody's going to know that it's you for a certain period of time and I understand the challenge to that but the people who want to read what J.K. Rowling is writing regardless of maybe whether it's about Harry Potter or something else they lose out so it's a disservice to them yeah absolutely. 
All right. So we move on to Muggle Mail, Muggle Mail now. This first email comes from Sophia17 of Glendale. Hey there, Muggle Casters. I love the show and I've listened faithfully for a few years now. And I just wanted to point out an error you made in the last episode. Hagrid didn't tell Rita about his past. He was pouring his soul out to Madame Maxime at the Yule Ball, if I'm not mistaken. She was a fly on the wall in their conversation, or ladybug, if you will. Thanks for reading my email, though I'm pretty sure plenty of others sent this in as well. So thank you for that correction. Eric, can you read the next email from Simon? Sure. Next email comes from Simon. 22 of Straff- Staffordshire, England. Uh, Simon says, I just finished listening to episode 220 and thought you raised some interesting points regarding ghosts and merfolk. While it doesn't mention what magic exists to control ghosts, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them does note that they are not considered beings. The Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures is divided into the Beast, Being, and Spirit divisions. Given that wizards apparently don't even treat each other... or Given that wizards apparently don't even treat other beings, such as goblins, that well, it seems likely that they aren't generally overly concerned with the way they treat ghosts. Ah, that's good analysis. As far as merfolk go, they, like centaurs, are voluntarily classified as beasts. Does he mean to say involuntarily? Um, anyway. So probably they have not been treated well in the past. The merfolk in the lake at Hogwarts probably trust Dumbledore, but for all they know, Harry would be perfectly happy to blast them to pieces. The whole thing seems to hint at some very uncomfortable history to me. Anyway... These are just my thoughts on the matter. Love the show. Keep up the good work, Simon. So, so Micah, Simon really loved your your insight into <laughs> that little flinch. Was it that the mer person almost didn't even do? But she, but he loved it. He ate it right up. Bravo, when you, when Micah. You suggested that there was this well, past history of abuse. There must be a past history. If she ever wrote the encyclopedia, maybe we would find out about. It. Uh, you want me to take the next email? Please, go ahead. Next email is from Helen, 27 of Hinsdale, Illinois, and she says, Hi guys, I have a comment about episode 220. You were collectively wondering if Harry was simply too young to adequately understand that the hostages from the second task were never in any real danger. I think you pretty much all agreed that Harry believed the egg song was true because he was simply too young and therefore too naive. What you failed to remember was that floor, and we mentioned this earlier, Eric brought it up, who was captured and unable to escape from a group of Grindelows, was beside herself with fear when she was unable to retrieve her sister from the lake. Reread pages... Oh, we have homework. Uh, pages 504 to 506 <laughs> from Goblet of Fire, U.S. hardcover edition. Fleur also believed that the egg song was true and feared that her sister was lost. So, I do not believe that Harry was naive or that his age had anything to do with it. I think that it was simply not properly explained to the champions that the hostages were not in any real danger. All right. So clarification there. Thank you, Helen. Mm -hmm. I'll read the Uh, last one. Oh, go ahead, Eric. Hey, it comes from Katie, 15, from Maryland. Subject is HP Teachers. She says, in episode 220, you were talking about how you had teachers that act like Hagrid, and I know other people have umbrage Snape-like teachers. I was wondering if you have had a teacher that looked like one of the Hogwarts professors. At my school, the ceramics teacher looks exactly how I pictured Professor Trelawney. She has the outfits and the hair, but slightly smaller glasses. Katie. I'd like to go back and look at all my class pictures because I'd like to do some comparisons. I can't think of any off the top of my head, personally. Uh, it's a good question, huh? Uh, the teachers that yeah. look like Hogwarts teachers. Um, Mine were kind of bland, I have to say. Nobody really stood out like the Hogwarts teachers did. 
Yeah, all my teachers were different, but but um, probably not. You know what? Come to think of it, one of them did look like Moody. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Half giant. And and, and like not a to face, say they're fat. A I mean, they're that, actually that, half giant. A face that was Hagrid. pieced together. In, in a way what that looked say? like... Moody. You said Moody. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, I meant Hagrid. No, I was going to say, Moody is kind of a harsh uh, analysis of somebody with half of his no. face missing. Well, because of the eye. Yeah. Oh. Um, no, I'm Hey, but, but Katie, if you go to uh, LeakyCon 2011, I guarantee you will see people who look a lot like these professors. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean because of... Yeah, because everybody dresses up. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yes, and that is a good reminder... As we wrap up the show today, don't forget to visit LeakyCon.com. Get all the information you need about this, what will be an amazing Harry Potter conference. And we will be doing at least one podcast there, maybe a panel or two. We'll see. We have to talk about that soon, actually, because um, <laughs> the the, regis- the um, form to submit is due February 28th, I think. So LeakyCon2011, you can visit LeakyCon.com. And when you do register, use the code MUGGLE so we know that you're coming. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Really check out the site. You'll see all the fun that's going to be had. And also, one last plug. I've been talking about it a couple times here on the show already. Hype Hype is my new podcast with Ben Shane, who's going to be on MuggleCast soon, by the way, hopefully. Uh, He will also be at LeakyCon. Visit HypePodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Um, Right after we record MuggleCast here, Ben will be coming over, and we'll be recording an episode of Hype. Oh, so he's he's uh, not coming over for MuggleCast, but he'll come over for Hype. Well, he was just going to be late for MuggleCast, and we didn't want him to come on halfway through. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. Anyway... HypePodcast.com, check it out. I think you'll like it. We talk about everything, you know, entertainment and uh, going on, all the news going on in the world today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. We'll see you next time for episode 222. 222. 222. Wow. You said 222. Bye.